Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 37, entitled, The Jealousy of God. Hello, welcome back. Good to see your faces even though I can't see them, and I'm assuming that you're seeing mine. Uh, even if you aren't, you're just listening, glad you're here, and uh, hope that you are ready to study the Bible. That's what we do. Why do we study it? Because that is God speaking to us. It's not something through which God speaks. It is actually God speaking. So we take it very seriously. Uh, we examine his words, and we pray that we will allow them to examine our hearts. I pray that you're letting them examine your heart. So let's ask God's help, as always we have to do. God, we need your help, and uh, so we're asking your intervention in our lives, our circumstances, our situations, our day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year. Lord, you know us, and so you've given us your word because it speaks into our lives and it changes us. And so we need to be changed. Uh, life is too short for us to do things our way. And so we need to be changed into what you want us to be. Bless this time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are studying 1 Corinthians, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be down in verse 14 in just a second, if you would like to turn there. In fact, go ahead and do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. We're going to be down through verse 22 here in just a bit. Uh, the Corinthian church, of course, isn't exactly, if you haven't been with us, or maybe if you haven't, have forgotten, we've been a couple of weeks out of our study, so let's be reminded. The Corinthian church is not exactly what you would call uh, the most spiritually educated group of Christians uh, on several levels. Number one, they've come from great paganism, so they had to come a long ways. They weren't at zero, they were somewhere negative, in a deeply negative range. They've come out of paganism just to get to zero, and then from, from zero, somewhere positive in understanding the things of God. So lots of things are, are flying past them that wouldn't fly past some of us who were, uh, you know, a little further along, let's just say. So, so for instance, they had a ridiculous divisions in the church. They were, they were immature, uh, practically laughing at, among other things, uh, incest uh, among their own fellowship. It just like they didn't bother them at all. And Paul's just like, what are y'all doing over there? Chapter 5. So, so here we're going to see that what's, they're also doing other things like uh, frequenting the temples uh, that are dedicated idols. And in fact, un, unrealizing it, not realizing it, that they're actually participating in the worship of those idols. They themselves, not least mentally doing that, but in the eyes of the people. And so, so this is critical for their testimony and for their stance uh, as, as believers. And so let's, let's take a look here at what Paul has to say, and then we're going to examine some of the things, the topic, and in, in particular, one particular topic that comes up out of this. So chapter 10, verses uh, 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Okay. They thought they had done that. And Paul's going to differ with them. I speak to, I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. He's not coming down on them. He's just saying, can we not think logically about this? Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? He's talking about the Lord's Supper. Now, of course, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic thing. It symbolically represents his blood. It symbolically represents his bread. It is only symbolic, but it isn't only symbolic. It actually is a worship service. It actually is a testimony. We do it outwardly to remind us of what has happened inwardly. So it's actually an uh, acted-out message, if you will. And so what he's saying here is he's getting at the point that 
they're still participating in the process, if you will, of idol worship, saying there's nothing to idols, which is true. But doesn't the, they're forgetting that the process speaks of a reality of worship, and they're forgetting that. It's not the bread which we speak, which we break, breaking and sharing in the body of Christ, again, symbolism. Since there is one bread, and we are many, in, or me who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread, look, look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? Again, what are these sacrifices? They're symbolic of the sacrifice of Christ. But he said, you're still participating with this. What do I mean? He's getting at this whole issue of them being in the temples dedicated to idols. What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, he says. But I say that the things which the Gentiles do, so it's not, it's not the symbols that are the issues. They're saying, oh, we don't care about the symbols. It doesn't matter. So yeah, but for everybody else, they're not just symbols. They're actual worship. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, that sacrifice the demons, the idols, nothing. What's behind the idol? He says, we need to be careful. And, and they sacrifice the demons and not to God. And you know, I, want you to be, I don't want you to be sharers in demons. I, I think that's a decent request. <laughs> don't be sharers in demons. Don't involve in things that are otherwise demonic. So you think it's nothing. He says, no, it's nothing to you. But it's everything to some of these people. It's demonic. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? I want us to spend our time on that word right there. Do, you, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting conversation that he's having with them here. And it's dealing with their day-to-day -day lives He's dealing with the issues of what they used to be compared to what they are now. And he's saying there needs to be some obvious changes that you haven't obviously made yet. And we're going to see that. But first of all, I want us to consider this very interesting attribute of God that's brought up here near the la in the last verse, which is his jealousy. We don't hear much about the jealousy of God, do we? Why don't we? Well, because we have this definition of jealousy that is bad. And in fact, in the Bible, jealousy quite most often, apart from being related to God, is a negative thing. It's a bad thing. Uh, but, but understand, jealousy is directly linked. In fact, it is a character trait of God. I want to show you several verses that speak to this very thing. Of course, we just read one here in 1 Corinthians. But look what it says. Shall, you shall not bow. This is the second commandment related to the second commandment, creating uh, idols, the same issue that Paul's dealing with here in 1 Corinthians. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Hmm. What is that? Visiting the iniquity. He's serious about this. Of fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So don't hate him. That's what idolatry is. It's hatred towards God. Well, I don't mean it that way. Well, it doesn't matter how you mean it. It's how he takes it. Look at another one, Deuteronomy 6.15. The Lord your God, who is in the midst of you, is a jealous God. Again, they were running off to idols and doing stuff they shouldn't do. So follow him, or else the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Wow, 
God is serious. Watch this one. No, I didn't give you the one that I wanted to give you. I don't know what I did with that. I am having trouble with my remembering those things. Where it says, in, I intended to give you Exodus 34, 14, where it says uh, that God is, his name is jealous. So God's name, that's one of his chief attributes. So, so, so God is love. God is righteousness. God, God is, is grace. God is jealous. Is that a part of your worship of God? Part of the attributes you include in God? Jealousy is usually a negative attribute, but it's not when it refers to God. When we sing songs like, Our God is an awesome God, have, have we ever sung the song, Our God is a jealous God? Why don't we do that? Because we, we don't really understand it. We, we sing songs like, Majesty, worship your majesty. How about jealousy, worship your jealousy? Hmm. Ooh. That doesn't ring well with us. Because we don't understand it. Again, we don't have a proper understanding. Of what je- we only know jealousy from a negative side. We only know it from an evil side. Why does this attribute of God receive such little attention? Probably because we largely, like I said, don't understand it. Let's begin with a working definition. So there's two kinds of jealousy. One of them's wrong, one of them's right. We only know the wrong one. Here's the wrong one. Uh, it's a jealousy that is suspicious. It's a jealousy that's envious and controlling and selfish and self-loving. I'm jealous because I want what I want. And I don't care what it does to any of you, I want it. It's, all, it's just totally selfish. A child is born uh, jealous in that way. We have to work on that kind of jealousy. It's not others loving, it's self-loving, which is just the opposite of God's jealousy. God is not interested in himself at all. He's totally interested in you and what's best for you, and he is jealous for what's right for you. He's jealous for what's best for you. He will not settle for anything less than the best that you can have. See, one is jealousy for myself. That's evil. The other one is jealousy for someone else. That's good. That's God. He's jealous for what's best for us. He's Jealous, well, we could use the word zealous. In fact, we probably should because here's what you need to know. The word zeal and the word jealous are exactly the same words in the Hebrew and the Greek. They're not divided. Hear the word zeal or zealous in English and the word jealous. They're not very far from it. just one letter difference. In the Hebrew or in the Greek, they're the same word. Just about application, really. Uh, one negative, one positive necessarily, but, but application. One, one of, as an example, one of Jesus' disciples was called Simon the Zealot. There were a group of guys who called themselves jealous, if you will. They were zealous for what was right for their nation, Israel, that they not be dominated and controlled by some foreign government and foreign people. They were zealous for what's right and what's best for their land and for their people. It was, again, not for themselves. Obviously, it would help them. But it was for, it's for the sake of the nation of Israel. They were zealous or jealous. So they had this whole uh, political party called the Zealots, and Simon was a part of that. Jesus himself, the Scripture says, was jealous or zealous. 
Here's the verse I put up there just a second ago, which took the place of the other one. I don't know what happened to that one. But Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, Jesus clears the temple. When he does this, by the way, it says, tells us in the book of John that, that John remembered that the Scripture says that zeal about Jesus, that zeal for God's house would consume him. Jesus was zealous, jealous for the proper use of God's house, that it be prop, a proper place of worship, that it not be a den of robbers. Let's, let's read it here. So Jesus enters the temple, again, in jealousy, in zealousness. Enters the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. That's jealousy. Jealous for what's right. Not for himself, but for the people and ultimately for his father. Zealousness. Jealousy. Jesus was. He literally was. And Jesus, by the way, is still jealous, still zealous for the Lord's temple, which takes us back to where we are here at 1 Corinthians. Where is God's temple today? It tells us in 1 Corinthians. You are the temple of God. Be very careful what you do with God's temple and where you take it and what you involve it in because you're going to find that God is very jealous for his temple, that it not be used improperly, that it not be done wrong. He's very jealous for, for that which is best for us. See, God's not gaining anything necessarily by saving us. He's giving everything. He's interested in us. So, so here, back to the issue that we're dealing with here in 1 Corinthians. These people were taking God's temple and taking it into idol temples. God's got a problem with that. So every time God's jealousy we hear mentioned in the Scriptures, it is in regards to idolatry or false religion. And it's, we see that here in verses uh, 20 through 20 and 21. But no, I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice the demons, not to God. I do not want you to be sharers in demons. Of course. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of God. And yet we're involving the temple of God in the things of demons. Don't do that. That's what he's saying. Don't do that. Because... The God was, you got to understand how, how idolatry works. So, so we think of churches, uh, this building, we think of it as a place that's only open on Sundays. It was not the way they worshipped, not the way they worshipped idolatry. They didn't have a certain day. They did it every day, in, in, in especially in Corinth. Their, their temples were open 24-7. Uh, because they believed that their God only lived there, you had to go there to speak to him or her, depending on which God you're talking about. And therefore, it was a common meeting place for most individuals in that culture. So if you wanted to find somebody, you probably could find them, or you just sit in the temple and wait for them. Because they're going to show up there eventually, because they were all idolaters. Uh, their whole life function around this idolatry it was a place that were, where popular and powerful people gathered, a place of weddings and parties and service clubs and city governments. It was a place that had the most meeting room under shade or under protection. So... It was a logical place, just in that sense, just to go. Um, so, so in that day, to cut oneself off from the... From, again, when, their worships never stopped. 
So every time you went there, you were at least assumed to be a part of the worship. That's part of the problem. The idols didn't mean anything to them. Well, we don't believe in idols anymore. We, we believe in God, not in idols. So what's the big deal of us going to where the people are? Well, well, there is. You have a testimony. Calls into question. Who do you really belong to? Yeah, coming to Christ changes your life. And, and it has not just the way you think, but changes where you go and changes it has to. Changes to a certain degree what you do and where you go. And you say, well, it just doesn't bother me. Well, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. So they need to see a difference, a testimony. We use the word. So two quick points. Number one, idols are nothing, but they're not just nothing. As Paul says here, there really are demons behind them. It's a block of wood. It's a chunk of stone. It's a piece of gold. It, it's nothing. But it's what the people assign to it that makes the issue. So, so you're walking in this, in, in their case, this idol temple. And you say, they mean nothing to me. Yeah, but they mean something to everybody else in there. Everyone else who, to whom we owe a testimony. And so you being there gives a bad testimony to your faith in Christ. Paul has a problem with that. You can imagine. Fellowship in an idol temple was tantamount to fellowship with demons. That's the way the people saw it. Fellowship, the two fellows in a ship, right? So that how could you be in two ships at once, both God's and that of demons? They're going to church and worshiping and observing communion, and then going to the idol temple in at least in the eyes of the people that were there, also communing with these demons. Paul says, no, you can't do that. No. Their lives needed to change, including where they spent their time. And was it going to affect them? Yes, it was. It was. But such was the call of Christ upon their lives. Look, look at what, uh, again, it's, it's not so much, well, it, it had something to do with what they, where they were going, but it was more in in. In this light, look what James has to say. James chapter four, verse four: Adulterers and adulteresses. So James is so, um, um, what's the word? He, he's such a diplomat, right? <laughs> oh, he just shoots very straight. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So, so, so you come to Christ. And you still want to hang out in idols' temples. See what I'm saying? You still want to be friends with the world. Because that's what the world is. Paul's saying, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It doesn't matter where you're going. It doesn't have to be an idol temple. It's just whatever, whatever is in agreement. The world wants to do it, and so you do too. Well, you can't always do that. In order to honor Christ in our lives, where we go, in some cases, has to change. What we say has to change. How we think, how we present ourselves to the world, to a certain degree, has to change. What are we doing? Trying to just mingle with the world so the world never sees there's a difference in us? I'm not saying going out there and make yourself weird. I'm just saying there are some things that the world does that you cannot do. Because it gives a testimony to the world that no, there is no difference between Christianity and what we do. And there is. There has to be. 
We cannot run hard after the things of the world and pursue all, all, those things all week and then expect to have fellowship with God on Sundays. God has to be first every day. And part of that for them was, you know, I can't be in that temple now because of what it represents. Because what the people think. And yet we are, we are reined in because of the consciousness of someone else. I mean, our purpose in the world is not to make ourselves happy. Our purpose in the world is to bring others to Christ. And so if me going to the idol temple keeps that from happening, i got to stop it. That's his point. That's his point. Either God is first, and so he's the main factor that determines what I do, what I say, the places that I go, or he's not. Black and white. It truly is. We either are faithful to God and what pleases him, or, like James says, we are spiritual adulterers. Adulterers. We either zealous, here's the word, for God, or he is jealous for what's best for us. Do we provoke the jealousy of God? Don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus is zealous for what's best for us. Look at what it says here in Revelation 3. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. He's jealous about that. I wish that you were either cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be, there it is, zealous and repent. He's zealous for us. He's jealous for what's right. He wants us to think just like him. Makes sense. Be zealous for what's the best. What's the best for us here? The best places for me to be. The best things for me. I can't participate in that now. Why? Because it in and of itself is wrong? No, because of the way it's seen. Because my, the testimony that I have is so important. The responsibility I have, the life that I have, the time that God has given me, not to run the life the way I want to, not to go out and just be friends uh, with the world just for the sake of friendship. No. Sometimes I'm going to have to be an enemy of the world in order to be a friend of God. Deep stuff. Critical stuff. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for being jealous for us. Jealous for what's right. Not just being nonchalant like sometimes we are about the way things appear, about the direction we're headed, but instead, God, for stepping in, for loving us, being unaffected by the opinions of the world. God, I pray that you would help us to reach further and further in that direction, away from the opinions of the world, away from what the world says, there's nothing wrong with this, nothing wrong with that place or these things. Instead, for us to sit back and say, what's best? What will bring God glory? Am I taking the temple of God and it, making it seem that it's participating with things that are not of God? Help us to think clearly on these subjects, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, gets down to the nitty-gritty of who we are and what we do day to day. Continue to speak to us, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.